0: Welcome back to Legally Uncensored. I'm your host, Demetria Graves, a licensed family law attorney based in California. As always, our podcast serves as your essential compass, guiding you through the intricate landscape of family law. We're not afraid to dive into the depths of raw, unfiltered conversations and eliminate the most challenging aspects of the legal world. Our mission? to arm you with the knowledge that paves the way for healthier relationships and proactive strategies. In this season, we're peeling back the layers to uncover the unspoken challenges that often emerge during divorce. Our spotlight is fixed on the intricate dance of difficult behaviors like narcissism, which can add complex layers to the already intricate process of divorce. And in today's episode... We're embarking on a journey of rediscovering love after divorce with a guiding hand from an expert matchmaker. We're navigating post-divorce dating with none other than the matchmaking powerhouse herself, Tanisha Wood, who is a dating coach, matchmaker, and podcaster. And she has a beautiful baby, so I don't know how she does this all. (laughs) However, (laughs) she's also the brains behind the broom list, the first and only matchmaking firm dedicated to pairing educated, successful, marriage minded Black singles. That's awesome. Tanisha Wood has been featured on The Today Show, BET, and countless blogs. Please welcome to Legally Uncensored, Tanisha Wood. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Demetria. You're very welcome. What a bio you have there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us a little more about yourself. How did you get into matchmaking, especially matchmaking for Black people, basically?
1: Yeah, so I started off really organically, basically by matchmaking myself and friends. So I used to be in corporate America doing that whole corporate grind, and that brought me to a couple different places across the country. So um, I'd lived in California, New York, Minneapolis, Dallas, um, and in those travels, San Francisco being my first one of them. I recognized that I was meeting a lot of people like me, right? But everybody was saying the same thing. I'm single. I don't feel like there's anybody here. Where are all the Black people? Is there a bar? Is there a restaurant? Like, where are we? This was circa 2008. And online dating wasn't even really that big then. It was where you would go home, literally log on to Match.com. And that is how you would you would try to meet people. But I never had any qualms or embarrassment about it. So I got on a couple different sites like okaycupidmatch.com. I was meeting these guys and I was like, wow, like he's a really nice guy. I had a good time, but you know, you just don't feel that fire, that flame, but yep. it's just not for you. And so right. I would keep in touch. You know, I was in my twenties at this point. So I was mainly exploring. But I would keep in touch if I had a girlfriend or if I met somebody and I'm like, you know what, you would actually be really good with her. And I knew firsthand because I went out on a date with him. So I knew that he was a good date. And so I just, you know, kind of did that for fun, really just connecting friends and then friends of friends. And then when I moved to New York, sort of the same process where, you know, friends of friends started reaching out and I was like, I really love this and I should probably be getting paid for this at some, on some (laughs) level, right? I kept my job for a couple of years. And then at a certain point, I just said, I have zero passion for this. And I love connecting people in this way. And I already kind of had a mini database going from doing it personally. So that's when I started coaching. And then from there, that led to the broom list where I started matchmaking.
0: That is so awesome and so inspiring, especially in the space that I'm in. After divorce, a lot of people are scared. Mm -hmm. You know, they just came out of this very, very emotionally charged process of divorce. And although divorce is a way for people to start over, some people have not been on the dating scene in a long time, like even before online dating came on the scene. So they simply forgotten how to date. What do you say to someone in that position?
1: Yeah, I mean look at it like this. When you're coming from divorce, you actually have the full experience of relationship, right? Like marriage is where people are ultimately trying to get to and you've been there and you've done that and you've been through the wire and you know now what to do and what not to do when it comes to actually having a relationship with somebody, having a long-term committed thing, right? The steps though to get there might look a little bit different now online dating, however, you know, you choose to do it, matchmaking. But the process is still largely the same, right? And I think when people come out of divorce, what they find is that maybe the person that they started with isn't the person that they ended with, you know, whether they're talking about themselves or they're talking about their former partner. It's really like now reexamining who are you? Like, who am I now? that I am this new person. I've had this experience of marriage. It didn't work out. How did that change me? And now what do I want going forward? So it really starts with the question of who am I and what am I looking for now that I am this new person on the other side of that?
0: Right. How do you encourage someone that it's okay? You have to at least put your toe in the water. You have to get started. How do you encourage someone to make that the first step?
1: The first step often is not actually dating, right? The first step is simply putting yourself out there in a position to have that come to you, right? Don't sit on your couch. Don't <laughs> sit there and expect that, you know, I'm just going to scroll on Instagram or swipe right or left on some sites and I'm going to meet the love of my life. So, step one isn't even about dating, it's actually just about putting yourself out there. So, get Literally outside, go outside, go to the park, go to a bar, go to a restaurant, go to the grocery store. Like, I don't expect you to change your life. I want you just to get out there and start putting yourself out. So that means if you're at the grocery store, don't do this. Like, don't sit on your phone and, (laughs) you know, like, look up, make eye contact, approach people, compliment people. And simply by taking that step, it opens you up, right? And from there, that's how you start to just engage in conversation. And this doesn't have to be serious conversation. You know, what are you looking for? Do you want a relationship? This could simply be what made you smile today? Are you having a good day? And so dating really starts from just being comfortable in a position of talking to people and being comfortable with yourself and being confident enough to be able to approach people and have a conversation.
0: Right. A lot of times so many people make the excuses, right? And I understand after divorce, right? You're learning how to redefine your life. You have your children. Some people are single parents and just trying to figure it all out. What do you say to those who say, I don't have the time. I just can't do it. You have to make
1: the time. You absolutely have to make the time. I work with a lot of successful professionals and I hear this a lot. I just, I haven't had the time to date. And I tell them, well, think about your career, right? Think about your education. How did you get that? How did you get to where you are at work? you made the time. You said, I have a goal. This is what I want. And you set time aside in order to do that. It just didn't happen. You didn't wake up one day and you were a boss at work. You know, you didn't wake up one day with a master's degree. like You planned, you made time. So you absolutely have to make the time. And the time can look like for two hours a week, I'm going to go out. And in those two hours, I'm going to have conversations with three people. So it's really just set a goal and it can be a very small goal to begin with, but simply saying like, I don't have the time. If you have the time to go to the grocery store, you have the time to meet somebody. You know, if you have the time to go to the gym, you have the time to meet somebody because this is possible in all of those interactions.
0: Absolutely. And as you see, I'm going through all of the excuses that I hear mm-hmm. in, my, <laughs> in my field as well. And the other one is I can't afford that. A lot of people say, I hate online dating, but I can't afford matchmaking. What do you say to that? I say
1: it's really about the value proposition, right? The same people that sometimes tell me I can't afford matchmaking will tell me that their last car they just bought was you know, $60,000. And I'm like, well, a car is just, to me, something you use to get around from point A to point B safely and comfortably, right? But- a relationship and a marriage, like that impacts all other areas in your life. So how valuable is that for you? It's really if there's value that you see in that, which I would hope that most people see the value in a life partner. Like that is literally the most important decision that you will ever, ever, ever make. It's more important than your job, where you choose to live. Marriage impacts like your health, literally your health. To me, it's it's an
0: investment in your life. Absolutely. It's so funny. You start the relationships, I end them. So (laughs) I see see everything in between, but I'm really, really committed to people feeling empowered and moving on with their lives. I think that's just as important as the business of handling their divorces because so many people get stuck, especially those who've experienced toxic relationships or had to kind of overcome some of the traumas that they went through during their marriage. So how do you help people, one, not just fall in head first and fall in love with the first person that shows them attention and then working through that? Like everyone is not a narcissist or everyone is not toxic. So how do you kind of encourage that person to not fall in love with the first person that shows them attention and then kind of take the process slowly based on what they've been through?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Before I work with anybody, one of the things I always ask is, you know, have you been to therapy? And in therapy, have you been able to work through some of the things that you struggled with, both if I'm talking to somebody divorced, have you been able to work through the things that you struggled with in your marriage? And how are you feeling about yourself now? And, right. you know, nobody's perfect, but what I want ideally to work with a client is that they've been through that process of sort of, Taking themselves apart and putting themselves back together in order to understand who they are now and how they see themselves outside of that person in that relationship. The main thing is are you are you ready, right? So have you have you dissected? And once I determine that they're ready, that's when we fix their picker, right? So <laughs> for a lot of people, especially, you know, if they've they've been through divorce, they feel like, I just don't know how to pick the person. Like, my picker is off, right? And generally, that comes from not setting the right expectations or not looking for the correct qualities in a partner. So some of those qualities people might've looked at in the past might be, they might've focused more on the physical. They might have said, I need a partner that's six foot and that's quality number one. And then we can go from there. Whereas we define now, what is it that you need? What is it That when you sit down and you're by yourself in bed at night, like what do you want a partner to make you feel? Somebody being six foot isn't really going to make you feel anything, (laughs) you know, in that situation. And so it's really getting to the core of what they need and why they need it. Sometimes, you know, I question things. Sometimes when people tell me they need a certain quality, I'll really go down to, but why do you need that? How does that make you feel? Why is that important? And a lot of the times people will say things to me, well, that's what I've always had. Mm. It's kind of shocking when you come out of a divorce and you're telling me, well, that's what I've always had. Well, clearly that didn't work out. Let's define some new qualities that are going to make sense for you, who you are now after that divorce and what you need moving forward. You know, it's really like helping people just define who they are and what they need.
0: So what are the steps for taking things slowly? I keep asking this because you would be amazed at how many people are getting a divorce but get engaged to somebody else. So- right,
1: right, right. And, I definitely- is- <laughs> and I've definitely had people come to me who are in the process of separation, like divorce isn't even finalized yet. And it's because they're so used to having somebody around that they're truly afraid to be alone.
0: Do you take those people as clients? I do not. I okay. do not,
1: because one of the things that you know I pride myself on is connecting you with people that are truly ready to be in a relationship. And you know, I say, like people I connect you with, if it works out, I hope that you guys have a conversation about marriage and are like, "We're both ready to do this." But you're not going to be obviously ready to do that if you're going through a divorce. So that's part of readiness for me is just being completely separate from any former situations. What I always recommend that people do, actually, depending on the length of their relationship and their marriage. I say take some time just to be single where you're not actually even dating. You're not on websites. You're not seeing a matchmaker. You're really just dating yourself and understanding what life as a single person is like because the tendency to want to jump into something because they're so used to coming home to somebody. They're so used to partnership is there. And so they will just gravitate to the first person that they see and the first person that shows them attention. You really have to like be comfortable with you and get to know you. And the way to do that is by spending time alone. And that hurts sometimes. Like that feels lonely to be in a bed by yourself when you've been, you know, 15, 20 years used to laying with somebody there. But you're not actually going to meet somebody that's right for you until you're comfortable with yourself. That's going to take you being uncomfortable for a certain period of time. But like you have to be alone and you have to date yourself before you just jump back out there. There is almost no situation where I would ever say, You just got divorced, divorce just got finalized. You should try to meet your next person right now. (laughs) You know, I say, first, date you, get to know you, take that time alone, and then start dating. Like, don't start by, I wanna be in a relationship right now. Start by going out on dates and sort of exploring what you like and what you don't like. There's so much that you can learn about yourself through dating, you know? So if you are just getting back out there, I would make it clear to people. Hey, I just got out of a, a very long term relationship divorce, and I don't wanna be in that right now. I really just wanna explore. I wanna have fun. I wanna meet new people, but I don't plan on getting into a serious relationship right now. And in that process, you're really unlocking what it is that you like and what it is that you don't. And the way that you do that is when you go out with somebody, instead of saying, oh, that was a bad date, I didn't like him or I didn't like her, really evaluate why. What did that person do or say specifically that made me feel more attracted or did not attract me? What was that quality? Did I like them because I was laughing the entire time at dinner and they have a great sense of humor? Perfect. Now I know that that's something that I like and that's something that I value and that's important to me. Did I not like them because they didn't ask me a lot of questions about myself and they talked about themselves the entire time? okay, I know that I need somebody that's a little bit more attentive towards my needs and taking those cues. So really, initially, dating should be used as a a tool to understand exactly what it is that you want and you need.
0: Now, I hear a lot of people asking, how long should I date myself? How long before I jump back into the dating world should I spend a little time by myself?
1: There's no set time. So I can't say make sure you spend at least a year But I would say when you're actually enjoying your own company, when you're actually Mm. comfortable with it, when you get to a place and you go to a restaurant and you have dinner by yourself and you're not looking around, like, is everybody looking at me? Are they wondering why I'm here alone? Do they know I'm single? When those voices in your head of loneliness sort of stop and you're truly just sitting there enjoying your own company and having a good time. That is when you will start to attract people that are whole because you are whole.
0: Amen to that. I think the flip side of this, at least from what I see in my practice, how do you screen and protect your clients from potential toxic tendencies and other people? Is there a process for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a pretty intensive vetting process. And so My process starts with a video call or an in-person session where we talk for about two hours about everything from communication style to family background, therapy, politics, religion, sex, finances. And in that, I'm asking about who you are in those areas, what your preferences are. When, for example, we talk about therapy, I ask if you're in therapy what you're working through, how you feel about your progress. You know, if we're talking about finances, I'm asking, are you in debt? If so, like how much, how important is financial healthiness to you? You know, we talk about religion. That's pretty obvious with the, what religion are you and what do you require. We talk about, you know, if I'm dealing with somebody that's divorced, we spend a lot of time talking about what that marriage was like, how they changed throughout the course of it. And ultimately what they would do different moving forward.
0: Yeah, because I think so many people are just turned off now by online dating. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts of doing both online dating and matchmaking? Do you recommend focusing on one or doing Mm -hmm. both?
1: Yeah, I would say use all available resources. In the same way that earlier I mentioned, don't sit on your couch and just swipe. I think it's important to sort of put yourself out there in all ways. So I have clients that are still online. I'm probably their main source of dates and matches, but they're online. You would tell your friends like, hey, I'm single if you know anybody. When you're out, make sure that you're talking to people. Make sure that like people know what you're looking for. So your friends even should be an advocate for you. So if you're single, your friends, when they're out there, they should be looking for people for you. If you have a friend and she should know, here's what you're looking for, here's the type of relationship that you want. So if she's at a bar and she sees a man that might be a good fit for you, she's like, hey, if you're single, I have a friend that you should meet, that person should also be your advocate. I would say, yes, use all available resources, including a matchmaker, including online, including your friends, including getting out there.
0: This is a lot. This is a lot for people that aren't used to dating. But I think it's very necessary, as you said, if that's what you want to do. So can you explain what is the process? How many dates do people get when they're, well, we'll use your business because we're talking to you. So how many dates do they get? What does that look like? What if people aren't happy with who they're matched with? What is the process?
1: Right. Okay. After I do the two hour call, I also do a home tour. So I look around your house. Do you remember the show MTV Cribs? Yep. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so, you show me around, open yeah. the fridge if you want, all of that. Right. And that helps me to understand what are the things that are meaningful for you that might not come up in conversation. And then the last thing I do is a reference check where I talk to a friend or family member and then just ask them who that person is, what type of person or friend they are. And once I have all that information, that's where I begin looking for your match. My introductory package is three matches. And so, what I do with that information then is I start looking for your match. I put your match through that same vetting process. And that's how I'm understanding if this is actually a good match for you and where you guys are compatible and what will work out. Then I set up a date. So if you're in the same city, it's usually in person. And for the date, I really like active type dates. So dates that sort of put you out of your comfort zone a bit. I've set up everything from like indoor rock climbing to axe throwing. A lot of my clients are like, I'm not trying to sweat on a first date. So dinner and drinks is fine too.
0: <laughs> I was <And> thinking <laughs> rock climbing, no.
1: <laughs> indoor rock climbing, like that could be fun. Because you know what happens when you go to dinner, a little sidebar here, but when you go to dinner, you know, are you going to coffee or drinks? There's a tendency to sort of go with that conversation of, so what do you do? Where are you from? And- right. I always tell my clients, like, I, I've i already asked all that. You could just get right. into the real. <laughs> Don't feel like you have to go through any of that. All that works. Trust me, we're good. And so I think when you're doing something a little bit more active or something that's a little different, it's going to force a little bit more vulnerable conversation. It's going to put you in a more vulnerable place because if it's something you've never done, if you've never been indoor rock climbing and hear somebody teaching you how to do it, like it automatically makes you more vulnerable, both the person that's like learning and the person that's teaching. And so I really like dates like that that kind of push past the first date sort of pleasantries and all that and just sort of gets to the vulnerability and the realness a little bit more.
0: Sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I just want to know like what happens if they're like, Tanisha, I just either one, I hated that person or they totally switched up on me. Like they were cool and then they had a personality change or something. How do you kind of deal with that?
1: I've never personally had anybody say like, oh my God, like that person just totally switched it up. Most often when it doesn't work out, it's like, I just didn't feel the chemistry. So that's the one thing I feel like I can't predict. You know, nobody can really predict. So you could say, I want this type of man and this type of work who, you know, has worked on himself in these ways and I've sent you that man. But then it's just like, I just didn't feel the chemistry. So that's most often, you know, what it is when it doesn't work out. However, in my coaching practice, I've had people that have said, you know, I've gone out with people and one day they're fine. The next thing, you know, they completely switch it up. And this is where I would say like there's value in getting to know people slowly and there's no need to rush into things. Don't go from we went out on one date to... Now we're traveling across the world together. Really get to know this person slowly and like build a friendship and make sure that they feel very familiar to you. And this is how you sort of avoid these surprises is just take it slow.
0: Right. Now, do your clients get to see who they're going out on a date with or do you do like a blind date situation? Absolutely,
1: I don't like surprises. So yes, before <laughs> especially they go out, with they do, dating, <laughs> right? They do see photos and they are able to just assess at that point if it's somebody that they're attracted to before they go out on the date. Because I don't like the idea of blind dates necessarily, because it's like I just think there'd be nothing worse than showing up on a date and then you're not attracted to the person at all, and then it's just awkward for both people. So no, I always do show photos before um, before connecting people.
0: Now, someone is not happy because you said you. Start with three date package. So if someone is not happy with one of their dates, do you reassign someone, or that's just if they match yeah. their criteria, that's just it.
1: We, after the dates, do a feedback process, and so that's where we sit down and we talk about the date in depth and what you liked, what you guys thought about, what you thought you had in common, if there was anything that you didn't like, and so this is where we really get a lot of information. So that first feedback session is particularly important, and generally in that session, we're diving deep, so I'm understanding specifically what it was that made this not a good fit for you. And then for the next match, then we're making sure to adjust for that. And one of the things I've found that happens that's interesting is we'll go through that whole vetting process and talk about all the qualities that you want. And then somebody will go out on a date and they'll say, wow, they did this thing or did not do this thing. And I didn't realize how much I needed or didn't need that. So it's almost like it doesn't occur until it's in front of you sometimes. Like I had one client. She said that the guy was not making eye contact with her. She was like, he wasn't looking at other people. He just wasn't looking at me all the time. It made me feel like he wasn't engaged. And like, that's really important to me. You know, it's just sometimes you don't realize what you want or don't want until you're in front of it.
0: And I think that's important to your point you made before. And you won't know if you're not dating. If you're not going out meeting with people, sometimes you don't know what you like and what you don't like. Right, right. So, I think another big hurdle for people is the first date. Mm -hmm. How do you help people be at ease with that first interaction?
1: Well, the thing I always remind people of is that you're nervous, right? But the other person is too. So don't feel like you're the only one coming into this with nerves and jitters. So it's an equal playing field because everybody's feeling like that. And I would say address it. It's totally okay on a date to say, it has really been a while for me and I'm a little bit nervous. Just get that out of the way, let it be known, and likely the other person will make a joke about it and reassure you that they feel the same way. Always remember that like, you need to be yourself. I know that sounds like cliche advice, but be yourself because people have this tendency to want to present perfection in any new interaction, right? So that's like, I'm actually really great. I'm really fun. I'm really smart. You know, I don't really have many issues. Like it's just this, this perfect veneer. And it's like, (laughs) no, but one, everybody knows that's not real. Like we all have our stuff. Um, but keep it real again, that's going to create vulnerability, but also you want to attract the person that's for you. Don't present a version of yourself that is not in reality because like that person could be then attracted to you, but that's not who you really are. And you're putting on a facade and how long can you really keep that up? The sooner that you can get to the real, the better. So Mm -hmm. I think your goal on a first date is not, is this person going to be my husband or wife? (laughs) That is not your goal.
0: Right.
1: Your goal on a first date is, do I find this person interesting enough to want to know more about them to see them again? So on a first date, I always think, okay, maybe you spend an hour or two. When you leave that first date, you should be thinking, do I want to see this person for three hours? Would I spend another three hours with this person? And then on date two, you're thinking, would I spend another three dates with this person? So I like to think of everything in threes. By date three, you're like, could I see myself with this person for three months? Mm. And so just really think about it step by step. Like don't try to imagine a whole lifetime with this person because I've had people say things like... I just don't know that this could be my husband because he, you know, he doesn't want this or he does want this. And I'm like, it's one conversation. Let's (laughs) at least know if there's an attraction there. Let's at least have another conversation and see what else you can uncover about them.
0: You said something that's extremely important. I think as women, we do this a lot. A lot of times we're worried about if they like us instead of Mm -hmm. evaluating if we like them and if Mm -hmm. there is a connection for us. So I think that's very important to highlight that you have to start considering, is this someone, like you said, that you like for an hour, for three or whatever the situation is, instead of focusing so much if they like you.
1: So yeah, first question is, do I like them? And then if I like them, do they like me? Because it can't run one way. Sometimes people are like, I really like this person. They really try to make it work. And it's like, well, if he doesn't like you, it's a non-starter. So (laughs) let's like somebody else that likes you. Right. (laughs)
0: <laughs> now let's say it's going great and i always worry about my clients because sometimes they get very invested in people that just show them a little attention is there a process that you have to help monitor the clients and make sure they're establishing healthy attachments and healthy relationships Or once they establish their connection is, is that it for you
1: No. So it's an ongoing process. After the match, we'll still keep in touch. I still am coaching them through the next step, which is ideally a relationship if they meet somebody that they like. And one of the things that I'm doing in those coaching sessions is really making sure that they're continuing to ask the right questions as the relationship flows along. So are you guys on the same page about the things that are important to you? And are you asking those questions and are you having those conversations? It can be easy, I think, to you know, you meet somebody that you like and they're fun, it can sort of be easy to brush over certain important details and important questions about the future. But it's important that those conversations be had. So after a month or two, are you asking about the future and asking what they want and what's important to them? And this is where I get a lot of these out the way early, like I said, where I talk about finance and religion and kids and all of that. But this is when you know, you're having those conversations yourself and asking about what's important to them for the future and how they see it, how they would want you know, to raise a family. In the case of divorce, a lot of people come in with children already. And I think a big question there is, how do you see your relationship with my child? What do we want this interaction to be? Here is my relationship with my ex. Is that comfortable for you or what would be ideal? And so I think these are things that really have to be talked about. We can't just make assumptions. I think when we like somebody, it's easy to say, well, they'll be cool with that. I like them. They like me. And it's like, no, we really sort of have to work through these fine details and make sure that everybody is comfortable with what it is.
0: Right. Have you ever had a situation where you match well, but then the families don't blend well? So maybe a kid doesn't like the match or their kids don't like each other. Have you experienced anything like that?
1: I have not in my practice, but I have personally, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll I'll tell a story here, but I was dating somebody with children. And I think ultimately I realized that I didn't flow well in the situation as a whole, right? I flowed Mm -hmm. well with him. But in the situation as a whole with the kids and their mom and it didn't flow. And I think a lot of that was because there were certain questions because this had been the first time that I had personally dated somebody with children. And so I think there was a lot of questions that I didn't ask in the beginning because I just didn't understand the whole scope of this in having that personal experience. This is part of the reason I really encourage my clients to ask these things up front. Don't just wait until a situation occurs. He acts one way. You think he should have acted another. Now you're feeling weird. Now there's a weird tension with you and, you know, the former partner or whatever it might be. These things need to be laid out in the beginning.
0: Right. And I think it's important to have rules around, am I going to meet the other parent? What does that look like? Are there agreements in your divorce decrees that we all have to go to dinner or coffee or whatever it is? Because that is a big part of the relationship, how you interact with children and or the other parent. And I don't think, like you said, a lot of people gloss over that. But if you're going to be with that person, you're also going to be with their children. And I know we always say 18, but it's not 18. It's for a lot longer than that. And I think that's a big part of the relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I actually, interestingly, had a client once who she was okay with dating somebody with kids. She didn't have any kids, but she was okay with dating somebody with kids. She just said, I don't want them to be daughters. I'd prefer that they have sons. And whenever people say things like that, very specifically, I always know that something Something happened, happened, yeah, and now you're scarred, so like what happened? and mm-hmm. essentially, she had the person that she dated before, their attention was sort of always split with their daughter, and the daughter sort of took over the relationship. I encouraged her. I'm like, you should still be open to men with daughters, hey, <laughs> we shouldn't eliminate anybody with a daughter, but more so have the conversation of you know, what are the boundaries here and who determines the boundaries? Is it her or is it you? And in what situation should I step forward or step back?
0: Right, right. Another big topic we didn't talk about yet is Mm -hmm. what is your advice on um, having sex too early or are there rules around that? Or you just Mm -hmm. let your clients figure it out?
1: Yeah, I always say, wait, when you meet somebody, okay, first, let's just say this, sex complicates everything in no situation has it been made simpler or easier when sex is introduced, right? Like there's never been a situation <laughs> where somebody has said, you know, things were just not going well and then we had sex and it made everything so much simpler. <laughs> never. never has that been, right? <laughs> I always say, wait until you feel like you're not giving something up and you're not wanting something in return. So a lot of the times when women get hurt by having sex with a partner and then that partner isn't giving them the same level of attention or the relationship is not what they thought it would be now, then they feel like they have given something up, you know, I can't believe I gave him that and now he is treating me like this. So I think sex should be had when you don't feel like you are giving something up, when you feel like this is a step I want to take for myself, either for my pleasure or or because this is where I'm at, or because I feel like our connection is that way, and I don't question what the connection is on either side. So there is no rush for sex because you can always have it, but you can't take it back. So. <laughs> <Isn't> that,
0: <laughs> that is right. Time and sex, we don't get back, people.
1: It needs to be said like, sex isn't something that establishes any sort of commitment. No. Sex doesn't take things to the next level from a commitment standpoint. And so if you are gonna have sex, I think the conversation needs to be had before sex, right? Of what does this mean? What does this change? Obviously, safety, who are your other partners, et cetera. But I think it just shouldn't happen. And then there's expectations created about what it should be next. I think the conversation should be had before. It should be a deliberate act. Like we are going to have sex. What does that mean?
0: Right. That's a great point because people are still rushing that. And I think that complicates a lot. Absolutely. Which brings me to my next question of safety. I watch too much true crime TV. so Oh, same.
1: (laughs) Investigation ID, I could have that running all day in the background, all day.
0: (laughs) So has anyone ever called you like, you know what, this person, I don't feel safe any longer. I've asked not to speak to them or her, and they're still contacting me. Have you had that? And then what do you do if that happens?
1: Yeah, I haven't dealt with that in terms of somebody wanting to be left alone and that not being respected. But I would say to anybody that's in that situation, before it even gets there, take safety measures. So when you're going out with somebody, make sure that your location is shared with a friend or family member. Don't share personal information about yourself or where you live. Don't have somebody over to your house on the first couple dates until you feel like you trust them. Which is again why we shouldn't be having sex right away because mm-hmm. like I don't want you to know where I live. I just <laughs>
0: you. <laughs> you shouldn't know where
1: I live yet. So yeah, I would say like don't feel like because you've seen somebody's Instagram profile that that means that that person is automatically safe when you start to meet friends of theirs and family members and you're in act or doing activities together like with coworkers or just where you're seeing their world fully. I think these are things that are giving you cues about who they are and are they who they say they are. Once you're seeing things like that is when you can start to feel a little bit more safe. But until then, I wouldn't You know, I always advise clients to approach everything safely. I've never set up a date, you know, for a midnight walk in the park.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't want that kind of adventure. You do not. Right, right, right. (laughs) As we start wrapping up, I want to know, how do you coach clients through detachment, right? Say, I really like someone, but he just was not that into me. How do you coach, especially someone that's been through a traumatic divorce, who got out there, who did everything you said, And now they have to do this detachment process again.
1: The first thing to keep in mind is that it's not always about you. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like it's not when somebody doesn't like you, that doesn't mean you're a horrible person or that you're undateable or that you're not wanted. Like it is one person's idea of who you are. And it is another person with their own stuff, right? They have their Mm -hmm. own baggage that they might be bringing into it. And so, Don't take this to mean anything about who you are personally and what you can have moving forward. That's the first thing. Also, like if somebody doesn't like you or doesn't want to be with you, there is no way you can make that work. Sometimes people will try to come up with ways to shift or change themselves in order to entice that person or make them want to stick around. That doesn't work. right? And I think particularly once a man has decided she's not for That's me. It. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's no, well, let me do this. Let me try X, Y, and Z. Let me switch myself up. Let me get a new look. Once he's decided, it's done. Move on. I think the best thing that you can do in that situation, if you trust that person, is get feedback and say, well, can I ask specifically why you don't think this is going to work or why you don't think I'm the person for you or why this isn't working out with us? And maybe there's something you can take from that. Maybe that person says, I just feel like you can be self centered. Well, can you tell me how? And if you feel that that feedback is accurate, then that is something you can take into consideration for the next relationship or the next situation and have a further conversation about it. That's a really mature way to approach it. You know, oftentimes, though, we're caught up in our feelings and emotions and feel rejected. And so it's just like, well, fine, bye. But (laughs) the more that you could just sort of not take it personally and actually gain feedback from that, like the better of a dater you're going to be, the more that you're going to grow with yourself, you know, not even so much about the next person, but just like with yourself.
0: That's important. And to not, you know, that doesn't decrease your value of who you are as a person, just because somebody decided to go a different direction.
1: Mm -hmm. And there is, I truly believe there is somebody out there for everybody. So the thing that one person doesn't like about you, the next person might be like, Oh my God, that is my absolute favorite thing about you.
0: Right, right. Oh my God, I am so inspired by you. I am so happy (laughs) you came and gave us so many helpful tips. But I want everyone to know how can they find you if they want to follow you and or learn more about your services?
1: You can find out more about The Broom List at thebroomlist.com or you can follow me and reach me on Instagram at Tanisha Wood, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of the things. And yes, I am always looking for new clients that are truly like healed and ready for love.
0: You keep saying healed. So everyone, that is important. She wants you to be healed and ready. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. (laughs) Thank you again for joining us on this journey of rediscovering love after divorce. Remember, dating after divorce is a chance to rewrite your love story with newfound wisdom and optimism. If you're considering seeking guidance, a matchmaker can be a valuable partner in this exciting adventure. Stay tuned for more episodes of Legally Uncensored and follow us on all social media platforms at Legally Uncensored.